Yes, Lord, we surrender all to you because you surrendered heaven, life, your own will for us. Father, thank you so much for giving us eternal life. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. And Lord, as we open our Bibles now, as always, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would open up our our eyes, our ears, our understanding. We ask that today you would speak to our hearts. Lord, today in this very important portion of Scripture we look at, Lord, would you make a personal application to each of us and then to us as a church, Father God. Lord, our desire is to please you and to be effective witnesses for you. So Lord, as we go into the time of the study, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And together we all would say, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, as I said, this is a uh, an amazing portion of Scripture today. Uh, we're in 2 Kings chapter 16. If you want to open your Bibles up there. I also have a couple of portions of Scripture I'd like for you to uh, locate and just put a marker in. 2 Chronicles 28 and then Isaiah chapter 7 we will be looking at uh, as, as we do that. I've got to be very honest with you guys. I love teaching the Word of God, but there are some sections that we go that, that I'm a little nervous teaching because they, they have the, the ability <laughs> or the opportunity to make people mad at me. You guys know that I'm just in sales. God's in management, right? All right? So uh, just remember that. And I'm... <laughs> I, you know when I open a study like that, you're thinking, oh man, what is going on here? Well, this portion of Scripture we're looking at today is so applicable to our world today. We see what's going on with the leadership, with the priesthood, and with the nation that we're about to study. We see it happening in our world today. We're seeing it happening in our churches today. We're seeing it happening with people who profess to be believers today. And it's going to be kind of shocking. It's going to be very troubling but at the same time, it's going to be very uh, important for us. So, you guys have your Bibles open to 2 Kings 16? Okay. You find these, those other scriptures, 2 Chronicles 28, Isaiah 7, all there? Okay, for, as we start off for the overhead, would you please put Proverbs 14.34? You guys are familiar with this one. It's a great truth. It says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. To any people that principle of God applies today to every nation to every people right righteousness is what exalts well we're going to see how sin and unrighteousness tanks a nation in our study today as you'll recall in our study in first and second Kings it's giving us the history of Israel and Judah we keep going back and forth looking at the different leaderships the condition of the church well, we just finished off looking at Israel. Israel in history, where we've been reading, is real close to going into captivity and dissolving from history. Judah is still hanging on a little bit because they have a few good kings in the midst of a bunch of bad kings, but they will last a uh, few more years than the Israel side. Well, we're looking at today a very bad king. So let's start reading in chapter 15, verse 33. This is just the intro into chapter 16. It says, and he would, well, we might as well read verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, we studied him a lot last week, king of Judah, 
began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Joshua, the daughter of Zedok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Remember, Uzziah was a good king until the end when he decided that he could, he could fill the role of the priest. And he went in to the temple to burn incense. And God struck him with leprosy. And he skedaddled out of there. Remember that? So he did pretty good up until then. Well, his son uh, was a very weak leader. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't good. We just don't know a lot about him. Uh, but notice, if you would please, verse 36, the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, they are, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Now, here's what leads us into our next chapter. In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekot, I'm not sure if that's how you say it, the son of Remaliah, against Judah. So our focus is now moving from Israel to Judah. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Chapter 16, we focus on Ahaz. And listen to this, verse 1 of chapter 16 as we get into our text today. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now notice this. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his, Lord his God, as his father David had done. Uh, this isn't one of the points, but if you want to write it down, I think it's a good point. And that is, God knows what's going on, folks. Right? He's, he, he said, he did not walk in the ways of his father. He did not walk in the ways of God. There's two ways of walking. You can either walk in the ways of God or not in the ways of God. Right? Only two paths to choose from. And so he was really bad. Check this out. Verse 3, this is so troubling. But we see the same activity going on in our world today. We just put a different name on it. Check this out, verse 3. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. We've just been studying how the kings of Israel have been following the pagans. They're so far away from God that they're just about to lose their nation, right? Indeed, notice this. He made his son, 2 Chronicles um, 28, verse 3 says, children, plural, more than one. He made his son pass through the fire according to the, notice this, Killing babies is an abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. These pagan practices is an abomination to God, and God cast them out. Okay, friends, bear with me on this. If God cast these people out for killing babies, wouldn't that just tell us that, that He said it's an abomination? Shouldn't that tell us we shouldn't allow it happening? If God cast it out, why should we accept it? Okay? Now, we just package it a little bit differently. Uh, would you uh, notice, please, put on the overhead, please, Jeremiah 19.5 and Ezekiel 16.21. I put these together because they, they address the same thing. It says, and they also built the high places of Baal, when we read about the high places, the garden stuff, that's all pagan worship that they were involved in. They built up these high places 
to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal. Why, does, why is God against us killing babies? Because God is the giver of life, not the taker of life. Right? According to the Bible, now some parents don't believe this, but according to the Bible, children are a blessing. Those three o'clock feedings you're not so sure about, right? But, but, and, and God, like Michael Jackson, believes children are the future. Some of you get it. I mean, right? The Bible says that the man whose quiver is filled with arrows, and in that story, the arrows are your children, uh, is a blessed man. You guys got it, Andy. <laughs> I just hadn't been looking at you when I said that. <laughs> right? So no wonder. Remember in our study, it was considered to be, you're considered to be cursed if you didn't have children. That's why barrenness was just so devastating in the Bible because that was their, their future, right? And so uh, the enemy wants to take away our future. God gives life, the enemy gives death. And so in this false thinking, the demon world got these people thinking, I'll promise you wealth, prosperity, and happiness. Just give me your kids. Now, in our mind, when we talk about this, we're, we're thinking about the horrible abortion thing that's going on, right? Let me say this. Uh, it was an accepted practice back then. They just did a little bit. They let the baby be born first. Some parts of our state, our country, are now allowing the baby to be born first before they sacrifice him to Molech. But it's so, it was such a common practice that no one thought anything about it. In our world today, it's such a common practice. Most people don't think anything about it. Let me say this. Because of the magnitude of what's, what's going on with that practice, everybody at some point will probably know somebody that's been involved in that. Maybe you've been involved in that. Let me just say this right now. God can and will forgive. God can and will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That is not the unpardonable sin. It's very devastating and harmful. But God is our hope, no matter what we've done. Amen? Is everyone cool with that? Right. Keep, oh, would you put that back, back up there? Uh, they're doing this to the bells. It was, it's, it's a demonic activity, which I did not, notice God said, I didn't command or speak that. You know, God's given me the right. No, he didn't. He did not. God said, nor did it even come into my mind. God, the giver of life, says, it's never come into my mind to kill my children. Aren't we lucky? That's, I never would even think of that. And then the next one, Ezekiel 16.21 says that you have slain my children and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire. Horrible, horrible, horrible. God's not approved that. And this guy, this king, one of the ways he walked not after God is by walking the way of the world and doing this. Now, put on the overhead, please, for me, um, Andrew. Romans 12, 1 and 2. God does require a sacrifice, but not of our babies. He requires a living sacrifice of us. I'm going to call this up again in our study a little bit later because it's so powerful. But look what it says. I beseech you, therefore. That's like I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Take this. You've got to understand how important this is, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
your bite. Not your children's, not somebody else's. You present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Holy. God calls us to holiness. We're to be different than the world. We're not supposed to walk the ways of the world, friend. The rest of this chapter will go into that. Acceptable to God. I want to be acceptable to God, do you? Right? He said, that's your reasonable service. There's nothing outrageous about being godly. Now, notice this. This will apply to the second part of this chapter. And be not conformed to this world. Ahaz was conforming himself to the pagan world by practicing these pagan practices. We're not to conform ourselves to the world, but we're to be transformed out of this world into the, a godly aspect. How do we do that? By the renewing of your minds. How do we renew our minds? By studying His Word, by praying, by worshiping, by fellowshipping, right? By, by living our life for Christ. We, tr- we renew our minds that, look at the result, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Pastor Clay, I need to know God's will on this. Hey, have you prayed about it? Have you read the, read the Bible? Have you, have you sought it out? Well, no, it would be easier if you tell me. <laughs> you might not want Clay's will. right? I'd be like some of the ministers. Well, bring me two Snickers bars. Then we'll talk about it. I, mean, I don't know if preachers do that. Anyway, that's getting way off here, right? right? Talking about ways of the world, we're doing some electrical work at the barn, and, and they're, they're digging trenches for electrical purposes, stuff like that. And yesterday, the guy was out there, and he's using those divining rods. You guys seen that? Right? And I said, that wickedness ain't taking place on my land. I let him finish, you know. Um, but I walked up there, I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, man, an old plumber friend of mine or electrician friend of mine told me this is how you find water lines. He goes, you want to try it? I said, no, I don't want to do that. I said, does it work? I am not kidding you guys. He told this kid, he goes, dig right there. Two inches from where he said there, the guy hit the pipe. I was like, ooh, that's just spooky. I don't want no part of that. I said, when you're done, put that thing away. Put the two things. I said, anyway, we're not to be involved with that stuff. We're not to be involved with, with a, uh, astrology. We're not to be involved in having our palms read and, and doing those things that, are, that are, are empowered by the enemy. Does that make sense? We're not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, uh, let me see here. Oops, I tore my paper. Verse 4. And he sacrificed and he burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So he was a very religious man. He's going through all these religious practices. Have you ever heard someone, you ask them, hey, are you a Christian? And they, they give you this response, oh, I'm spiritual. Yeah? You know who else is spiritual? Satan. Right? A lot of spiritual crazy people. Have you <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> I'm going to tell stories. He, he was trying to impress this girl, and he, he, he says, he goes, he goes, did you come from heaven? She says, why do I remind, remind you of an angel? Or you think I'm an angel? He goes, no, Satan. <laughs> so, 
she married me. She ended up marrying me, but no, I'm kidding. Spiritual doesn't mean Christian. He was involved in a lot of religious activities, right? But look at verse 5. Uh, I'm sorry, turn with me this first time to Second Chronicles chapter 28, and we'll, we'll be back to our text. Let's start at verse 2. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Our text in 2 Kings tells that. Look what else he was doing. He not only worshipped at these high places and, and practiced human sacrifice and all that. Uh, says, uh, and he made molded images for the bells. He was, he was promoting pagan worship. He was doing all that he could to advance that. Right? Verse 3. He burned incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnom. That's where they, they offered these child sacrifices. He burned his children, again, plural, in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and he burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Notice verse 5, the first word there is therefore. As a result of this activity, the reason for what's about to happen in verse 5 is because of what happened between verses 1 through 4, right? Therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hands of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. And then he also delivered into the, ha- into the hand of the king of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Petgod, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day. That's a massive battle. In one day. All the valiant men, these were, these were soldiers. These were the tough guys that, that were eliminated in one day. Why did this happen? Because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Drop down to verse uh, 16. Verse 16, at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the king of uh, Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried them away captives. The Philistines also invaded the cities of the lowlands in the south of Judah and taken Beth Shem. You can name these places. I can't name them. The one I can pronounce is Gizmo (laughs) and its villages. But notice verse 19, would you please? For the Lord brought Judah low. Because of Ahaz, king of Israel, check this out, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. He encouraged moral decline. Friends, do you know some of the perverted stuff they're teaching your children in public schools starting in kindergarten? They're encouraging and promoting moral decline. I tell you what, I don't have daughters, but I can't believe some of these fathers of daughters in some of these states were, are okay with their schools allowing boys and girls using the same bathroom. That blows my mind, right? And just some of the, some of the stuff going on in our world that, that leaders are encouraging moral decline. 
because of that, because of the pagan practices and all this stuff, God says, that's it. I'm done with Judah. Taking them out. And all these kings start coming against them and they start losing all their territories. Now, Jerusalem, because it's a walled city, because it's a walled city, the other towns that were captured were not walled, but they couldn't take Jerusalem, but they were putting the hurt on Jerusalem, right? Now, keep your, your, your um, finger there and go back to our text. Verse 5 says, Then Razan the king of Syria and Pekach the son of Remaliah the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to make war. That's what we just read about. All those cities were conquered. But they came to Jerusalem to make war and they besieged Ahaz, but they couldn't overcome him. They wiped out all the other towns, killed 120,000 of their bravest men and all that stuff. But they can't take the little city of Jerusalem because it's walled, right? Verse 6, at that time, Raisin, king of Syria, captured Elath, it mentions that, and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went there and they rebuilt it. How many of you know that, that when the enemy gains ground in your spiritual life, he will make sure that it gets populated? Right? Now, between verse 6 and verse 7, God gives Ahaz an opportunity to do what's right and to make a good decision. Second Kings doesn't record it, but Isaiah does. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah. Aren't you glad God gives us chances, gives us warnings, gives us opportunities? Ahaz has an opportunity to do what's right to trust God in Isaiah chapter 7 the first nine verses tells us this encounter this is incredible verse 1 now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz son of Jotham that this that the son the son of Uzziah the king of Judah that Razan king of Syria and Pekot the son of Remaliah the king of Israel went up to Jerusalem to make war against it but could not prevail against it we're reading that's what we're reading about in our text right once again, they've wiped out all the towns. Now they're focused on the city. They can't quite prevail. And it was told to the house of David, that's the king, the king's household, saying, serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. Man, they're right at your door. Now look at this. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved in the wind. They were shaking. They were so scared. And this would be scary, right? So he's got a legitimate fear. He's got a, 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 a real-life problem out there. And now God gives him an opportunity to make the right decision and to get help. Verse 3, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jessup, that's his son. And this is interesting. This is going to be a, a visual lesson. His son's name means a remnant shall uh, survive. Take your son to the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to Fuller's Field. So they're under siege. What he's trying to do is he's trying to, to, to 
assured that he's got water to outlast this siege. That's when getting food and water was the biggest thing, right? Verse 4. Here's what you're to say to him, Isaiah. You're to say, you rotten rascal, you get everything you deserve. I mean, you deserve everything you get. No, God's given him an opportunity. Right? You say to him, verse 4, take heed and be quiet. Trust me. Don't fear or be faint-hearted. These two kings and these armies that's, that's just been killing 120,000, taking their cities and doing all this, had them shaking like leaves. Look what God calls them. Two stubs of a smoking firebrand. In other words, just the end of a stick that you pull out of the fire that can easily be extinguished. You're seeing a forest fire. These guys aren't nothing but a smoldering little piece of straw. And he names them. Verse 5, Because Syria and Ephraim and the sons of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, you're freaking out because they're coming against you. Verse six, let us, and you're saying, let us go up. They're saying, let us go up against Jude and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its walls for ourselves. Why? Because if you ain't got a wall, you have access to do bad things. Okay, don't get preach, don't get political, Clay. They want to break down your walls. The enemy always wants wants. I said I wasn't going to go there, but look at the second thing they want to do. And set a king over them, the son of Table. Okay? We want to tear down your defenses, and we want to put our guy in charge. Boy, is this clicking with anybody? Let's, let's put our bad guys in leadership. Then we'll really destroy the nation. Okay, I'm not. I'm, sales, management. Isaiah says, but thus says the Lord, verse 7, it shall not stand, this, this, them coming against you, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Okay? He's just a man. They're just people. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, and it's true. The nation of Israel will be gone. So that it won't even be a people. Verse 9, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. Once again, they're just people. People can't do anything against God. Now, here's the challenge that God gives them. This is a good challenge for you and I. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. The NIV puts it this way If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Isn't that good? I'm going to read that again. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, he makes the wrong choice. Go back to our text. God gave him the opportunity to trust him and to lean not on his own understanding. Even in that text, you can read on, he, he offers to give him a sign, and he won't take a sign, right? And so that takes us back to verse 7 of our text in 2 Kings 16. Are you guys following the story? Isn't it amazing? So God, through Isaiah, gave Ahaz an opportunity to do what was right and make the right choice and have God save him. Look what he does, verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pilser, the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. Instead of saying to God, I am your son, come down and save me. 
He goes to a man and says, I'm your servant. Come and save me. Friends, whenever we rely upon the world, a person, money, anything other than God, you've, you've got the second string. Right? Look what he does here. Verse 8. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and all the treasures of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of, king of Assyria. He didn't value the things of God. He took the riches and the beauty and the money of God and gave it to, the, to his enemy to help defeat him from other enemies. How many times do we do that? God, I'm, I'm feeling a, a crunch here, so I better not give him the offering. Friends, that's the worst thing you can do. You're just saying that because you're the preacher. Duh, that's my job. Right? Worst thing you can do when you're in a crisis is to cut God out of it and to give up the God things. He took all that and he gave it to the king of Assyria instead of honoring Jehovah with it. Verse 9, So the king of Assyria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to, to Kerr, and killed Rezin. Now, that's only half of his problem, right? We find out in Second Chronicles, he stops there. He rips Ahaz off. He beats the small army, but he's still got Israel. Verse 10. Boy, this is sad. We saw Ahaz, first of all, turning to the world and not to God. Now look what he does. This is, this is really points to our world today, and this is very troubling. Verse 10, Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pilsar, king of Assyria. Check this out. And he saw an altar that was at Damascus. And the king says, man, that's nice. And so King Ahaz sent to Yerja, the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. He, he got the blueprints, he drew it out, and he, he sent it to the priest at the temple and look what the priest did verse 11 then Yerja the priest built an altar according to all that the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus so Yerja the priest made it before king Ahaz came back from Damascus friends here we see a problem a big problem is when we start building our own altars according to our wants this is a sign of a custom-made religion Remember what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, be not conformed to this world, transformed. Friends, there's a big, big danger, and it's very, very popular in our world to form our churches into the ways of the world. Right? Hey, this is a cool altar. This is what I need in Jerusalem. And it's a real shame, and I don't say this out of jealousy. I say this out of, out of zeal for the Lord. But it's, it's a terrible tragedy when churches are no longer churches, they're, they're now coffee shops, donut shops, nightclubs. Right? Look what's happening. He made his, his own altar. Right? And look what he does. This is incredible to me. Verse 12, And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Now he's even making offerings on it. 
And he burnt his burnt offerings and his grain offerings and he poured his drink offerings and sprinkled the blood of the peace offerings on the altar. Look at verse 14. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord from the front of the temple, from, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord. And so he put it on the north side of the new altar. Get the picture of what's happening here? He's got this custom-made religion. He's, he's saying, I'll only come to church if you do this, this, this. He, he's made his own altar. He's made his own religion. And he moved the altar of God and put it to the side. Why was the brazen altar in the center of all that? In the place of prominence? Because that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Friends, when we move the cross to the side and we have our own wants and our own custom-made altar in the front that church is in trouble when sanctuaries become auditoriums and congregations become audiences and ministry becomes performance you're worshiping at the wrong altar right the cross has got to be in the middle the brazen altar is a picture of the lord jesus christ and they're moving Jesus and his sacrifice out of modern churches. Why? We want our new altars. Does this make sense? Apply to anybody here? Not, no, not here. But you know people that it applies to? You see what I'm saying? Friends, we're not to be messing around with, with God's altar. So he moves it to the side. Verse 15, and Ahaz, Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest saying, you know what I just had a thought of? Remember when Uzziah went into the, alt, went into the temple? The priest, I can't remember his name now. The priest stopped him and 80 of his buddies stopped him. Here, isn't it nice a man of God will stand up for the things of God? Here we see the high priest, oh, whatever you want, king. Not standing up for God. Come on in, bring this altar, right? Well, says and Ahaz commanded the priest saying on the great new altar friends again we don't need a new altar we don't need a new revelation we don't need a new word we've got Jesus we've got his bible we've got his sacrifice don't change out the altar you use the great new altar in the morning offerings and the evening grain offerings and the king's burnt offerings, his grain offerings, all the offerings of the people, uh, their grain offerings, their drink offerings, sprinkle on it the blood of the burnt offerings and all the blood of the sacrificed. Now, okay, number one danger is when we move the altar. For, for us, we'd say when we move the cross, ministry of Jesus, sacrifice of Jesus, and we replace it with the new, the entertainment, the flashing lights and all that stuff. Here's the second very, very big danger. He says, and the bronze altar, that'll be, be for me to inquire by. Friends, be very, very careful and be warned when a religious leader says, I'll talk to God because he talks to me and I'll tell you what he said. You beware of that person because pretty soon he's going to be handing you a cup of Kool-Aid. God told me to tell you to drink this. Okay, right? You know? I mean, we're seeing religious leaders getting busted for, for stupid things and they've been getting away with them for years. 
Don't you ever wonder how they get away with it for years? Because people are just... Let me look up when I say that. Because people are just fat, dumb, and happy and don't care. No, no amens on that one? I, you guys don't realize when in a tough passage, it's hard to look at people because you're going to say something you know, about something, looking at somebody, and they're, and they're thinking in their mind, he saw me. No. <laughs> My wife told him. No. <laughs> also notice a very dangerous thing here is the priests allowed the government slash the people tell them what they wanted as far as worshiping God. When you start molding your church and your church's function around the wants of the people and not the requirements of God, you're in trouble. Oh, you'll get a lot of people. But you're not pleasing the Lord. So here we have a weak priesthood who, who caved to the wants of, of the public. And now we've got the, the king not letting them inquire of God at the altar. He says, I'll do all that. You just use my altar, right? Dangerous situation. And it's not done. Check it out. Notice there was a lot of religious acts going on in this altar, but nothing with God. Verse 16, thus did Yurja the priest, according to all that the king Ahaz commanded. Once again, here we're seeing in our world, we're seeing the government wanting to tell the religious leaders what to preach, what not to preach. Right? They're going through it again in California. You know, they tried in Texas. Them Texans didn't put up with it. In Texas, there was a governor in Texas that said, you've got to send your sermon notes. I'd, I'd be glad to send my sermon notes because even I can't read them. <laughs> but they're, right? they're trying to, to edit what you can preach. And that's exactly what was happening here. Right? The priest did what the king wanted. Verse 17. And king, oh man. And king Ahaz off the panels of the cart, removed the labors from them. He took down the sea from the bronze oxen uh, that were under it, put it on the pavement of stones. He also removed the Sabbath pavilion, which was built in the temple, and he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord. Let's stop right there. Then I'm going to add this last line. Here's the next thing he did. He changed the altar. So he took away the real altar of God. In today's, how we could apply that to our is ours is what what. Paul told Timothy, we got an ear-tickling preacher with ear-tickling people, people who wanted their ears tickled, sitting in the audience. We took away the cross. We're taking away the altar. We've got something new in there, right? we got something else to worship on. We're doing religious things, but God's Word and God's revelation is stuck in the corner. Right? And now he remodels the church. Now he's remodeling the temple to not make it look too churchy. And once again, now, um, we know God doesn't dwell in houses and it's not the building and all that, but isn't there just something about an old cathedral with the big walls and it's just so awesome, right? It's a, it's a shame we're, we're going to warehouses, but, you know, it's all we could afford. Not bad for a barn, though, right? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm so glad we have padded chairs and air conditioning and all that stuff. But friends, 
once again, when we start modeling our churches to please the world and not God, all these things he changed, what, did, what, what one thing did they have in common? They all had to do with offering the offering on that altar that he moved. All those devices, all those things that he took away, stopped, would not allow them to make the offerings. Isn't that interesting? We start taking that away. We start removing prayer. We start removing Sunday school. You know, there's a lot of churches that don't have a midweek service or Sunday night service. Speaking of Sunday night service, I've already been told that the second is Super Bowl. And no one's going to show up to the men's study. So <laughs> I've already been told that. Yeah, yeah. Do what? Bruce will be there because patrons aren't playing. Uh, I, I already was told that, so we'll, we'll change that. I don't know about the ladies. Are you ladies Super Bowl fans? <laughs> I'll tell Liz to change the, the ladies' study, too. But you, know, you, you see what they're doing? They're, they're customizing and they're changing church to make the people happy, not to honor God. Friends, Sometimes, sometimes it's not convenient to get up and go to church. But we do it because God is worth it. Right? Anyway, let's get back to the story. There's an even scarier part here. Look at the last line of verse 18. He did all this stuff on account of the king of Assyria. Friends, there's something destroying our world today, and it's a word called offense when you start changing the church moving the altar rearranging everything to not offend the ungodly you ain't got church right the gospel is offensive to the ungodly but they need that offense sinners need to know that you've only got one option right there's a lot of religions out there but there's only one gospel of jesus christ and the world needs that Right? And so we're not to be, be I, I, I guess, I don't know if it was just how I was raised or what. I never had a problem with getting upset if I offended people. It's one of my gifts. <laughs> you know? But, but seriously, now I'm not talking being a jerk and being mean and stuff like that. But friends, if you're going to let the possibility of offending somebody stop you from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've offended God. That's who we need to worry about offending, right? So he did all of that not to upset the pagan. Now, check this out. For the overhead, uh, Andrew, would you put Second Chronicles 28-24? We were reading there, but look a little farther down. Look what else he did that Second Kings then say. Okay, he moved the altar. He remodeled the church. He stopped inquiring of God and all that stuff. And check this out. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God. He cut them in pieces. And he shut the door of the church. And he made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Now he locks up the temple. Strips it. He's, he stripped it of the altar. He's done all this stuff. He's... he's, he's emptied the church now he's locked the doors but he put a starbucks on every corner i mean he put a an altar 
Had to do it. Had to do it. Right? That's what happens, friends, when you, when you remove the altar. And the altar is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's finish up this, this chapter. We're about done. Isn't this just been a very eye-opening chapter? says, verse 19, and this closes up. Actually, worship team, you can make your way up here. It says, now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? They are. We just read some of it. Uh, if you want to take time to read the entire 28th chapter, it fills in more of the things that, that we covered here. And Isaiah 7 that we read. Uh, verse 20, so Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in this place and we will go on an upswing from this point but uh that's gonna stop us for today man what a chapter what a just enlightening for us making us aware of the dangers you know bob tells us that there's nothing new under the sun the entire book of judges we see as cir- the, the the circle of israel going from prosperity and blessing and serving god to being kind of lax in their their worship and service of God then being very free to sin and then God sends uh, a punishment to them they start feeling the pressure of punishment and they cry out to God and repent and God restores it's this vicious circle and we see it in in church history that circle continuing happening happening and friends I think we in in our world if we will be honest with ourselves, we can see that our world is in that circle that we just read about. The church, especially the church in the United States, is a very weak church. We're prone to entertainment, not to ministry. Right? We'll make every excuse not to worship God when there is no excuse to not worship God. Except the Super Bowl. you guys see what I'm saying? Friends, let's don't replace and provide our own altar. The king made his own altar. He said, I'll be happy with that. And he moved God's altar to this side. Friends, we need to be very careful that we as individuals don't do that in our heart and in our life. Make sense? Stand with me, would you please? I'm going to do prayer a little bit different. We're still going to have altar times, but what I'm going to ask is right now I'm going to pray and just thank God for the study. And I'm not going to get into a long prayer. I'm just going to say amen. And I'm going to ask each of you, myself included, to take a moment to reflect upon the condition of our, the altars of our heart. Have we moved it to the side? Have we constructed our own altar, our own heart, and designed it after the world? Are we feeling attacked like Ahaz and, and you feel like God has given you that opportunity like He gave Ahaz to either believe Him and trust Him or to turn to the ways of the world? Can we just take a moment today to, to reflect on ourselves and then maybe after a couple of minutes when you're ready, you want to come forward if you want prayer, we invite you to do that and then we will close in, in prayer. So let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, what a challenging portion of Scripture, but I believe it's a very important portion of Scripture. Lord, I know for me personally, sometimes I need to be uh, shaken a little bit to get my my focus back on You and my attention 100% on You. 
Father, it's, it's not in a condemning way. It's just so easy for us to, to look at the world and things we're involved in and, and, and kind of get off course a little. And Father, we're quick to construct our own altars. So Lord, today we repent of that. And Father, in these next few minutes, would you talk to each of us individually in our own hearts and do what, do what you want to do. And then God, give us the grace to make the changes that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.